Thank you for downloading the One Church Gloucester podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. Good morning, everybody. You made it back. So welcome back. If you were part of what we're doing here at One Church in 2018, you made it back. Well done. Uh, welcome back. If you if you came over Christmas and you thought, yeah, I might give this a go in January as well. Great big welcome to you as well. Thank you for joining us on this little journey that we're on. And uh, it's a big, huge privilege to introduce our new series, which I'll talk about in just a second. Uh, I'm John, by the way, uh, with Louise. We're the pastors here, and uh, we're excited for 2019. Uh, a new year gives a new uh, fresh start, good chance to have a go at something new, feel like it's a, I don't know, I know like we're not meant to just use the excuse of a date as like, you know, yeah, everything will be different, don't you worry about it, but it do, I don't know, something about a new year gives me a sense of like, come on, reset, let's go, let's do something incredible, and let's do something that's worthwhile together, right? Yeah. That's so good, and uh, everyone okay? Did anybody like, okay, just put your hand up. If you went back to work this week for like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, having been off since Christmas, just wave at me if that was you. Yeah, loads of us, loads of us. All right, anybody else get to like three o'clock on that first day back and went, oh my goodness. Like, I haven't had to concentrate this long for, for, a, for a whole like month, it felt like. Anybody else feel a little bit like that? Like reaching for the quality street, but they weren't there. Who moved my panettone? Why aren't they selling mince pies? Oh, the challenges we've been facing in this new year already. <laughs> Persecution of the worst kind. Absolutely not. Good. So, uh, I don't know, it just feels like, but um, we had this prayer week this week. Uh, we've, we've done it every January for the last few years, uh, and it's great to see uh, lots of you there. Uh, it just wasn't just us. We were with uh, half a dozen other churches that in Gloucester. We met together. We moved around a few different uh, church venues to worship together and to pray together, uh, and I know that those of you that came enjoyed that and found that beneficial, but we were praying for you because you're part of Gloucester, uh, at least part of a Gloucester church. We were praying for education in the city and businesses. We were praying for the prosperity of the city. Uh, and we believed that, you know, just in our time together, our time of unity, that that was going to command a blessing from God across everything that's taking place this year. So uh, I don't know, maybe next year you might want to pop along to that and uh, start your year. It definitely gave me the jolt I needed, kind of like woke me up, like, right, get your brain into gear. Um, because we're going to start this new series today uh, called Living Big in 2019. Uh, as you came in, you should have got a one of these. He says optimistically, thinking he put it in his Bible, which he did. Uh, you should have got one of these as you came in. Uh, if you didn't, then just make sure, give Nigel a nod. He was one of the team wel welcoming you in today. Make sure you get one of these in your hand. You're going to need this over this month at least. And I'm hoping and I'm expecting you're going to need this for the whole year. Right, because we've been asking ourselves this question, uh, like what is the word that God wants to speak to me about in 2019? Now, if you've been following, if you've been here for a few years, we have done something similar each, each year. Uh, and we believe it's really important that this, the opportunity to turn over a, a new leaf or start a new chapter in a new year, believe that's, that's a, a great opportunity we can capitalize on. Uh, and lots of you, maybe you kind of, you've set some New Year's resolutions already. This will be the year that uh, I get fit, I get healthy, I quit smoking, I start that course, I start that business, I write that book. Uh, one of those things is like, you know, this is going to be my new year. And, and I, we're going to take some time over these next few weeks to talk about maybe starting your year, not just with a resolution, uh, but with a God connection. 
All right, because a resolution is good. Like, I, I encourage you to have a resolution. That, uh, uh, lots of them don't work, but means some of them do. And maybe the New Year's resolution you've set will work this year. Please, this will be the year that it will work. It's the same one every year, isn't it? Come on, this will be the year that, that resolution will work. Uh, but the problem with it is this. Uh, a resolution is based on your willpower, isn't it? And, and, and my resolutions are based on my willpower. Um, but what I'm challenging every one of us to do at the start of 2019 is instead of setting a resolution reliant on my power, let's look for a God connection so that it's based on God's power instead. Okay, so instead of looking for a resolution that's your power, let's look for a God connection, which is his power. Because I think his power is a little bit better than my willpower. Just ask my fridge late at night. Okay, so, so we can either rely on our... Now, here's the other thing. It's not just our power, but because our resolutions are our power, our resolutions are also our words. And our words are good, and the things that we say are important and, and, and often powerful, but, but the, what comes from a God connection isn't our words. What comes from a God connection is His words. All right? So here's the challenge. We're not looking for resolutions to hope that we can be the change that we want to be. What I'm asking all of us to do, whether you are brand new to all of this or you are ancient... This card is for you, and on the back, that like white space, ask God, what is the word that you want to speak to me this year? Yeah. Okay, so from a connection with God, believe that he's going to give you a word that's his word to you. So it's not your words and your willpower, it's his words and his power, and watch how he unfolds this year and, and shines a light on some of these, on these words. Now, if, if you're new to all of that, uh, some people we've done before uh, have ta- shared these stories with me. Some people had mission written on it because they felt that that was like something that God was challenging them to do. Uh, and then later on that year, they got on a plane, uh, went was part of a missions team and went and served in another country for a week. That's pretty cool. Uh, I know like somebody had marriage on it once and they had to go home to their partner and go, <laughs> it's you. Uh, some people have had uh, um, all kinds of different things. So for me, um, my word last year was freedom. And it was really interesting because it, it, I didn't really know why I felt that was the word that God had given me for that year and I had freedom. Um, but I found myself as I was reading maybe something like my Bible reading plans and I was seeing that oh, actually freedom is a pretty major theme of the Bible, and every time I read something to do with freedom, it was like it was it's like a spotlight was on that part of the passage. Or uh, there's some songs that we sing, and some of the lyrics are really closely linked to that theme of freedom. And, and I've not really thought about them before, but obviously God was trying to like undo, uncover something in my heart and and bring something to life. And like it was whenever we sung those songs, I was like, yes, this is ah God, yes, you are trying to say something like this to me. And it all happens in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and if you're new to this, then I encourage you like just. Ask the people around you, like, what's, what's your word? What's, have you got a word yet? What do you feel like your word is? And I be, I'm, I'm going to tell you, God, if you listen to him, he will give you yeah. a word. Yeah. Okay? And maybe some of those conversations might help reveal it. Uh, maybe you start reading the Bible a little bit and then you might read a verse, like one line. And a word in that line might stand out like a, like a sore thumb in a good way. And you go, ah, oh, maybe that's a word that God's trying to, why does that word stand out to me? And it might, probably won't make sense straight away. But as we cut a path through 2019, we're going to see how that's why you wanted that word in my life. That's what you're trying to reveal to me. Remember, this isn't your words. It's his words. It's not your power. It's it's his power. And that's really important. Um, There's an Old Testament prophet called Jeremiah. And in chapter one of Jeremiah, he uh, writes down this 
uh, sense of calling he feels he gets from God. Right? He's writing it down. Uh, and it's a really fascinating uh, read. You might have heard this line said before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Okay? That comes from this passage in Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, but in verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 1, um, it says this. Uh, so he has this image. It's kind of like de- describing a, a dream, really. He's kind of going, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Okay? So it, this is, and this is the prayer for this series. We're going, okay, God, each Sunday in January, as we go on this journey, asking you, okay, what's your word for me? What's your word for me? It's going to be his words on your mouth. His words in your mouth. Uh, and as we go through that, we're interested to see uh, what God speaks to you about. But then, of course, as we get through the year, how he unravels that and shows that. Does that, does that help? All right, so you're definitely going to need one of these. And then stick that in your, on your fridge or in a book or in your Bible or something. So once you've got your word on you, you can see and you're uh, regularly reminded I've got what God wants to say to you. And then we thought, okay, well, as we're beginning this journey then of... Uh, what it means to live big in 2019. Like, what does that mean? So we, we, uh, that's our mission as One Church. Across every One Church uh, location, our mission is this. It's to grow you to live big. Yeah. And you're going to increasingly see our programs and events aligned around growing you to live big. And we thought, well, how do we kind of explain that? Well, there's a pathway to living big. It's kind of a, like, it's a discipleship pathway. It's a way of us going, am I growing? Am I, am I living big this year? Well, there's a, a few ways that you can tell. And this is the, like, the three steps of the discipleship pathway. It might not be new to you. It might be. Um, so step one is encounter God. Uh, our Sunday services are about that. It's about us gathering and, and having a sense of connection and encountering with God. Step two is that we're growing personally. Uh, are you growing this year? Are you finishing 2019 bigger, stronger, better than you started it? Uh, and go and make a difference. And you, as, you, as you grow, you'll realise you've got more to give than you ever thought. And finding ways in which you can give to those that are around you or go and making a difference to those that are around you and all sorts of different ways you can do that through here. And, and we as a church are going to start building more and more of our programs around that. But it's actually about you and me because we're all on a discipleship pathway. We're all here. I'm going to assume for this year that whenever you turn up, you're turning up because you're willing to grow and you do have a desire to leave this place a little bit bigger than when you came in. Yeah. Yeah. If I can't make those two assumptions, this will be a miserable job. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so they're, they're good assumptions to make, that when we gather here today, as an exhortation, we're, we're here to grow. We're here to change. And we're here because we believe that's not because that's something that we're doing or because of some words that I say, but because that's what God is putting on, doing through us and in us and around us through this year. Uh, so that's our word. So as we go on this like, pathway of this journey to growing you to live big, we thought, how are we going to introduce that through this Sunday series in January? We've got four Sundays to go on this journey together. I said, well, let's look at some historical figures that the Bible records uh, and, and, and see some of the things that were said about those people. Maybe we could retrospectively go, ah, oh, and this is the word that was for that person. This, this is the word for that person. And uh, we were going to say, like, because it's me, Amy and Nate that are doing those four Sundays in January. We were going to say, I was like, well, let's just call it like, these are our favorite people that we've learned about in the Bible. And they both went, whoa, whoa, because none of us picked Jesus. And we felt like you kind of, apparently you're meant to. I don't know, but, but like the whole thing is about Jesus, isn't it? The whole Bible is the preparation for, the presentation of, and the... 
Come on, Sam, it was just a year ago that you were an intern. And the participation in, well done. Did Abby tell you that? No. Yes, she did, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so glad we spent all that time, you know, on those classes. Anyway, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Doesn't matter what page you're looking at, it's got to point to him somehow. Um, but the, I, the reason I was going to say favourite, because I'm definitely going to start with my favourite. I'm going to start with my favourite historical figure from the time of the Bible. It's one that probably very few of us have heard about. He's not an obvious one. It's not an obvious one. All right? If you guessed it, all right, let's have a little game. I'll give you five seconds. Just think of someone from the Bible in your head. All right? We know it's not Jesus. So you've got to try and think of another one. That could be tricky. Give you five seconds. Just come up in your head. Five, three, two, one. Okay, put your hands together and stand to your feet and give yourself a round of applause if you said Melchizedek. <laughs> Is it just because you know me that well? You actually said Melchizedek. Ah, oh, well done. Yes, well, fair play, Kai. That's a... It's because Kai's like a Bible Scrabble champion, and that's a killer. You get a lot of points for that in Bible Scrabble. Do you have Bible Scrabble? It's not a thing. Bible Scrabble isn't a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. Um, Melchizedek, genuinely, 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 like my favorite Bible character. And I think because uh, there's a one line that's written of Melchizedek, and we're going to read that in a little while, that has just captivated me so much. Uh, so much so, I found my notes from my first ever sermon that I ever did. So like my first foray into this creative art of delivering a message for us uh, from the Bible, my first foray into that was from <laughs> Melchizedek. And I reckon I know why. It's because he's from Genesis, and it was probably one of those years where I was like, this is the year I'm going to read a Bible in a year. And I probably read this chapter loads of times because it's in Genesis before I gave up. And just to let you know, like the only time I've managed that one of those reading plans of Bible in a year was when I gave myself two years to do it. Okay, so if you've started the year, I've started the year again going, this will be the year again. If you've done that, I'm with you. Let's go. It's a, that's a, we need a lot of willpower. Okay. Um, so Melchizedek is in, is in Genesis and we really don't get to see a lot about Melchizedek, but I do think he helps us see something incredibly powerful, not just about something that scriptures reveal us, but about how we can live our life in 2019 and, and every single day. So um, if, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, just flick open to Genesis chapter 14. And uh, like we only get three verses of Melchizedek in the actual time when he was living. And uh, so blink and you miss it. But Genesis 14 verse 18. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, just flick to there. Uh, if you don't, don't worry, because we'll put it on screen for you now uh, as well. So here we go. Uh, this is, I'll give you a bit of context. This is uh, a time... Uh, Abraham is the main character in this story. Maybe lots of you have heard of Abraham, a uh, key patriarch figure uh, in the Old Testament, in the, uh, in the Bible. Uh, lots of stories around the Old Testament figure around him and the formation of him and his family and a, and a great promise and a great covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, and we're only really early on in Abraham's story. So early on, he's still called Abraham. Okay? Now, it's a different story altogether, but he has one of those biblical name changes where he was called Abraham. He later on gets called Abraham. Um, and it's an interaction that Abraham or Abraham has with Melchizedek that we read. Okay, so from verse 18, out of nowhere, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. 
It's, that's important. The writer's trying to give you a nod here uh, because there's loads of gods. Like There's loads of gods today, but even more so in ancient times. Like Everybody had a god. You could have a god in your pocket if you wanted to. Some People would worship all sorts of different gods. You would make sure you covered every base. I'm going to pray to this god for my finances, this god for my fertility, this god for my healing. And you would kind of like collect gods like a pick and mix to make sure you got you were looking for the desire that you wanted. But when you see someone in the Bible, or when the Bible describes words like Lord Most High or God Most High or Most High God, you're hearing them go, okay, we know there's loads of gods, but there's a God above all other gods, right? It's like there's a name that's above all other name and a king above all other kings. So it's really important that he's trying to give us that little wink and nod who wrote this. Because they're saying, so he's a priest and of God Most High. Okay, so he's a priest of God. And he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Okay, what a lovely little prayer of blessing, little encouragement that Melchizedek gives Abraham, which left such an impression, it says, then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That's not going to be the appeal at the end of this service, don't worry. Uh, he was so blessed. Actually, he, Abraham's just come back from a little battle uh, in a time when kingdoms are constantly fighting against one another. Abraham's just had a battle and he's won, so he's plundered all of the kingdom he's just overcome. And then a tenth of that goes to Melchizedek, seemingly just in response to that prayer of blessing that he gives over him. And that's it. That's all we get from the life of Melchizedek. That's it. A little wink and a nod to him in Psalm 110, which is written couple of hundred years, a few hundred years later. And then that's it. Until thankfully, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, starts writing and says, did you know, do you remember Melchizedek? And like the people he's writing to isn't like us. Because we were all like, Mel who? The person who wrote Hebrews was writing to, really specifically, to an audience of people who grew up as in the Jewish faith. In fact, their, their parents were Jewish, their grandparents, their, all of their ancestors. And they were all told these uh, stories that we read about through the Old Testament. They were told those stories like time and time again. And, and they had all this uh, religion and structure set to remember those. So when, uh, when the author here says, hey, you remember Melchizedek? They were like, oh yeah, Melchizedek, who met Abraham after that battle. And, gave, and Abraham was so blessed by his prayer, he gave him attempt of everything. Yes, yes, him. And the author of Hebrews wants us to help us see the context and the understanding and the power of that little interaction with Melchizedek because he says, I don't want you to miss what took place. Okay. So, so if you've still got your Bibles open or they've got that app open, just flick to Hebrews chapter six. And, uh, and we're going to learn as well that Melchizedek is a lot like Jenga. So as you open it, I'm going to try my best to move this table with Jenga on it to the middle of the stage. Please don't look because it could go wrong. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So did everybody get there to Hebrews chapter 6? Yep. Okay, right at the end of Hebrews chapter 6 comes uh, a verse that's really important to my family and we're going to read from verse 19 uh, and leading into the first verse of chapter, uh, of chapter 7. Okay, so Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. Okay, it's talking about Jesus here, actually. So my hope in Jesus is like an anchor for my innermost being. It's firm. It's secure. It enters the inner sanctuary, which is a reference to this Old 
temple uh, and in the middle of the temple there was this place called the most holy place or the holy of holies or the inner sanctuary that place represented was symbolic of the purest encounter of God's presence you could possibly have so much so mere plebs like you and I would not be allowed anywhere near it okay we would have to have a high priest to go there on our behalf so it's describing that and it says so this hope we have enters that place the holy of holies most holy place the inner sanctuary behind the curtain that separates it from everybody and everything else where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He, Jesus, has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Come on, Melchizedek, here he comes. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. Okay, now it carries on, and we'll pick this back up in just a second, but... The, the, like I can see the look on about three quarters of your faces. You're going, where on earth are you going with this? I promise it will make sense. Okay? So stick with me. Melchizedek, king of Salem, okay? king of a place. Lots of people, historical writers feel that might be the place, that, the city that grows into Jerusalem. Um, but priest of God most high. Here's the, here's the first interesting thing that's going to make sense later. He's a priest in a pre-priest era. So Melchizedek is introduced as a priest before there were such things as priests. Now, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you'll know this. But for all the rest of us, let me just fill you in. We know this because there's loads written about who the priests are or were, what their job was, what you had to do to become a priest, uh, the, the functions that you performed as a priest, because the priesthood was part of a whole system of law. There's a whole book of the Bible called Leviticus, which is like the manual for priests to tell you how you would be a priest. Uh, and there's a whole way and system and routine and program that you would have to fulfill. And the priests were involved in com- of doing performing sacrifices for the people, and they would offer acts of worship in the temple, and they would go and worship on our behalf in the temple. And then we have Melchizedek, though, introduced as a priest, before, before priests even exist. He's a priest in a pre-priest era. Yeah. Very good. Now, th- why is that important? It's important because of the structure, that's the law of that Old Testament that meant this. You as a priest are the way in which the people connect with God. Okay? So if you, let's say we didn't exist in 2019, but we existed, I don't know, flick open the Old Testament somewhere between Genesis, sorry, somewhere between the end of Exodus and the rest of it. And you're going to find a way in which people connected with God. And this is what I did. Let's say I'm your priest. I'm really not. Please don't call me that. Let's say, like, I'm your priest. You, and you, you've done it. You've done a, a couple of little ones. A couple of little sins. Just little ones. Just minor sins. Just ones on the side. And you would turn up to the temple at the weekend and you would go to the priest. I've committed just a couple of sins, just, like, just, some, just some little ones, nothing to worry about. Uh, and you'll go, and actually because of the kind of sin it was, uh, this is the sacrifice I need to offer that would make me right with God. And you would give me a pigeon. And I'd take the pigeon and I would slaughter the pigeon on the altar of sacrifice. And that sacrifice was in place of yeah, for you. It's for your sin and the little bits that you had done wrong. Now, different sins require different things. So sometimes you might uh, have done some like terrible sins and therefore we needed like a, like a cow or a, or, or, or a lamb and we would take the lamb and we would put this lamb on the altar and we would sacrifice the lamb and we would offer that dead on the altar on behalf of, on behalf of you. All the vegans in the house said. Yeah. <laughs> 
Now, there's, I mean, there's some kind of pretty fascinating stuff around this. That there was uh, every year, once a year, all kinds of different sacrifices, all kinds of different things. Uh, once a year, we, we, would go, we would take, as the priest, would take all of the sins. We would say, we're going to make sure, just in case we've missed any, just in case you weren't honest about those two, two little sins, and there was actually three or four, just in case we've missed anything that this, this nation, this group of people have done, uh, we're going to get a goat. Uh, and we're going to say, we're going to make a sacrifice that's like on behalf of all of the sin this year, just in case we've missed any, just in case we've missed any, we're going to select all and we're going to apply it to this goat. And this time we don't kill the goat, we take the goat to the edge of the camp and we kick it in the backside and the goat runs off. And it's symbolic of all of our sin now is on that goat and that's where we get the phrase scapegoat. Because all of our blame is now on the goat and the goat's been kicked don't look at me like we've just kicked a goat. We just sacrificed pigeons and lambs over there. The goat gets away alive, albeit with the sin of a nation on its neck. So, but now we know like all of this, and, and Hebrews chapter 7 was going on to help us explain like all of that, what we was doing was we were building this system. Okay? We were building a system upon which we had to connect with God. So for us to connect with God, we couldn't just connect with God. We needed a priest to do that. And the priest was part of a system, a structure, something that we'd put together. Okay, so you all know how the, how the game of Jenga works, right? So you, you, you find like, you've got to find like a loose brick and you pop it on the top there. And, and this is what's going on. This is why it's a picture of uh, Melchizedek and the Old Testament. It's because what's going on is every week you would turn up to the temple Offer a sacrifice of your sins, go home again, carry on with your life. Turn up the next week, uh, find out the right sacrifice to make. And it's like each time we were doing that, we were reinforcing and building higher and higher this system, this law, this old covenant, this regulation. But are we making it, are we building it stronger? No, we're not. So this is where Melchizedek unlocks something so powerful for us, and especially for people that were reading Hebrews because it was written to them. He says, you know, Melchizedek was a priest in a pre-priest era. But just skip down a few verses, 15 and 16. And he also says that, just before we read that, he says that that system was broken because that system's based on priests and the priests aren't perfect. So you're building your relationship with God around something that's imperfect. And at some point, we expect that this system that we're building and building and building, at some point, it's going to fall. So he says this, and, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, which, by the way, that's how you became a priest. Your dad was a priest, and your grandfather, you were from the family line of priests. It says, well, Melchizedek wasn't, and neither was Jesus. So someone who's become a priest, not because of his ancestry, but on the, here we go. This is why it stood out for me. This is why, this is like it's a powerful word, this. But on the basis of a power of an indestructible life. Yeah. 
I mean, who, imagine if that was your word this year. It was like, yeah, thanks, John. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to get my God connection, get his word on my mouth. And God says to me, indestructible. Like, what would you do this year if God's word over your life was indestructible? And here we have this word spoken uh, over Melchizedek. It's described him as a priest, not because he was from the line of priests. Melchizedek is a priest in a pre-priest era. And what if there was another priest like Jesus, someone who could also be our connection to God, but someone, because if we can have a connection with God before the system was in place, then how about, a, uh, how about a connection to God after the system was in place? It was trying to help us see this, that, that the more that we rely on these systems and processes for our connection with God, then eventually we're building and building and building our relationship on God on something that is very much destructible. And here we have a priest, a, a way to connect with God not because of something that's destructible, but on the basis of the power of something that is indestructible. Okay, so stay with me. So we've got someone who can say, if you were relying on this system for so long, why? Because before we had that system, we had somebody else who gave us a glimpse. He gave us a glimpse that we wouldn't need the system to connect with God. And then since that system, now we have, can Jesus use this phrase, says, I've come not just to, I've come to complete the law. I've come to bring a new covenant, a new system, like a, uh, I'm going to break the system open because here I am giving you a way to connect with God. Uh, this is, uh, if you want to write one thing down, you can write this down. Stop going to church. This could be the first like opening Sunday of a year where the pastor stood at the front and said, everybody stop going to church. Okay. Stop going to church. If, if, your relationship with God is built upon church being a system that you rely on for you to connect with God, right? If, if that's it. So, because he's trying to help us see. Melchizedek is showing us, he's breaking this open. He's saying, like, yeah, there's some things that are, that are good, but they're good about that, but we didn't, re- we didn't rely on that before. There was someone showing us there was a way, and some people say that's a link between uh, Melchizedek and Jesus are somehow intrinsically uh, or supernaturally linked. Maybe it is an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, but let's not go down there. And so you've got him showing that and then going, oh, Jesus makes a way because we have this hope in him that's an anchor for our soul that's firm and secure, and it goes into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And we've got this sense of something that is indestructible because he was destroyed on the cross and resurrected again, proving himself indestructible. And this is why Melchizedek is so helpful. He helps us look at the start of this year and go, what are you building your relationship with God on? Are you building it on something that is indestructible? Or are you building it on something that is very much destructible? I remember, I think it was about five years ago, we came here in the morning, arrived early for church and the person came, that came to me, face white as snow, said, the projector's not working. I'm like, what are we going to do? The projector's not working. How will we know what to sing? The words aren't on screen. What do we do? And, and we, uh, we, we sent everyone into a panic. That's what we did. We're like, ah, the world's falling apart. This is the beginning of the end, the end of days. Uh, we had people rummaging around storerooms that haven't been opened since 1984 looking for an overhead projector. We, had, we knew we'd put one in a skip. We were seeing if that was still out the back somewhere. Uh, we, had, we had interns upstairs frantically tapping away, trying to like print words so we could have printed word sheets. And like, we realised like, it's not all going to fall apart yeah. because the words aren't there, because the screen isn't working. Uh, it's okay. 
It's okay. In fact, we could all turn up to church this morning and the building could have been flattened and it'd be okay because it's not, our relationship isn't built upon these four walls. Our relationship is built on Jesus, right? Or it should be. But we've all had these experiences, haven't we, where we've, we've, we've built our life around something. Maybe we didn't even know that our life was built around this system or structure until we got so far in and we, got, we kept building it and building it. We all know at some point when you're playing Jenga, you're going to pull enough bricks out and it's just going <laughs> to topple over. We all know that's going to happen at some point. And sadly, we don't realise that that's what our life was built upon until... The topple came. Maybe you got into teaching because you wanted to invest into the lives of the tomorrow generation. And you soon found out that like our education system is broken in lots of ways. And I don't know, I feel like I'm spending my whole time doing paperwork rather than spending my time with the kids. Maybe you got into working for the NHS because you wanted to help people who are sick. And you saw, and now you're seeing on the inside, like how it's broken and how difficult it can be in and you're stuck by regulation and protocol rather than stuck at a bedside. Maybe you went to a church and you thought this was great and then you got a couple of years in and then someone said something, something happened and poof, that, all, that all toppled. Maybe uh, we have this all the time in the, in the new people life group and I chat with people and, and when you're in the new people life group, you probably said something like this, oh, this church is amazing. It's so this, it's so that, and I'm, thank you, they're lovely compliments, and this is what I say in, re- in response. It's just because you're new. And at some point, you're going to realise this whole thing's run by flawed people, with a lot of flawed people in it, and we're all as messed up as each other, we're just trying our hardest to build our relationship around something with Jesus, knowing that how flawed we are, and knowing how his strength covers our weakness, and in fact, in my weakness, he is made strong, and... Yeah. But if our, that's going to be a test, isn't it? That when that goes, poof, what your relationship was built upon yeah. all along. Yeah. I call it the Greg's factor. Because Greg's was my first Saturday job. Why do people go to bakeries? Oh, the smell of freshly baked bread. And that's why they put the bakery at the back of the supermarket. Because you go through the door and you go, and you follow your nose past all the deals in the centre aisle to get to the bakery at the end. It's deliberate, very deliberate. And, and, and you, you smell it, you smell, oh, isn't that lovely, that freshly baked bread. My first Saturday job, working for Greg's, and you go to, uh, you get there early in the morning, and it blew all of those dreamy aspirations I had of like freshly baking bread and providing them for loving customers, because uh, it all arrived off a lorry, baked somewhere else the night before. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. And here's what happened, like the, the bread rolls would come in these big crates and there'd be, about, there'd be 24 in each crate and each crate was wrapped in a plastic wrapper and, and you, would, you would rip open, this, like, you know, half past seven on Saturday morning, you'd rip open that packet and that fresh, mm, lovely smell of baked bread intensified 24 times and right in your face is actually really sickening. It's actually really sickening. And I saw some ways in which things are made and put together before they put on the shelf and I'm sure they've changed since that was 20 years ago um, but we all had those kind of experiences where you thought the relationship was perfect and then it realized oh this is built on the wrong things and this is very it was built upon something that's actually very destructible very destructible my, my my life evolves around my career but I've just realized my career is very destructible 
Maybe you found that, you found an unemployment notice <laughs> on your desk. Or built around some relationships that fell apart, or you found it was based around family, and that's no longer as, it, as you thought it would have been. And Well, that's what Melchizedek and the writer of Hebrews is helping us understand, that whenever we build our life around something that's destructible, at some point we're going to realize it's going to be destructible. Fascinatingly, just a handful of years after the Hebrew author wrote that, the temple, the physical temple that that these uh, readers lived their life around, visited weekly, attended festivals and celebrations there as their ancestors had done done for hundreds of years, they realized that this temple was destructible because Rome burnt it down a handful of years later. So he's helping us see, is your relationship built upon a system and a structure, some regulation and some law, or is it built upon your access, your opportunity, your privilege, that you don't need me or anybody else pretending to be a priest to pave a way for you to have a relationship with God. You just need Jesus. Because he's a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not because of his ancestry and because of regulation and law, but because of the power of an indestructible life. So build your life upon the indestructible things. Build it upon your hope. Build it upon your faith. Build it upon the promises of God because he who promised is faithful. Build it upon love, even though your experience of love has let you down time and time again. Build it upon the perfect love of Christ that is so for you. These things are indestructible. Build your life upon something that is indestructible, not the destructible. And that's why Melchizedek is definitely my favourite character of all time in history. I want to finish just by pulling this full circle as we're praying through this month to go, God, what's your word for my, on my lips? What's, your, what's this God connection provided for me? I want to go on this journey. I want to hear from you. Well, expect something that's going to encourage you to, be, uh, to build your life around something that is indestructible rather than something that is destructible. Expect him to lead you towards this relationship. So that if all of this fell apart and fell down, you wouldn't. We sing this old hymn. It's like a modern reworking of an old hymn uh, called Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. It's, it's about 200 years old. But capturing that sense of another New Testament phrase that Christ, the cornerstone, the building block, the only one that won't fall down at the end of all of this. Uh, so please stop coming to church. Stop coming to church. If your whole relationship with God is built around coming to church. I went to church this week. Tick. I'm a Christian. Next week I'm going to tell you why I love the church and why you should absolutely keep coming. (laughs) But there's only so much you can do in one Sunday. So for the time being, don't come back. Unless, unless... This is a community, a place in which is encouraging you with your relationship with God, helping you with your connection, your relationship. Stand with me, we're going to pray. We thought the best way to finish today would be to lead communion. And uh, just to emphasise that I'm not a priest, that, that you need me to lead you into communion. Uh, Kev and uh, Emma are going to lead us into the, uh, our time of communion together. But can I pray for you first before we take communion? Thank you. Jesus, we're so grateful that you came and so grateful that you paved a way for us to have a connection with your Father, God, the divine, this incredible creator that has made everything 
including me, my path, my walk, my life. And God, I pray over this month as we seek your word for our life, would you just speak so clearly? Because if we can get used to hearing one word from you, and how great would it be that we lived every day of our life hearing something fresh from you every single day? So we pray, God, that we will build our life not on the destructible, but as this picture of Melchizedek and Jesus and being a new kind of priest. We follow you, Jesus, into the inner sanctuary through the destructible curtain that was ripped in two so that we can be right at the center of your presence to encounter you and begin our journey with you. Amen.